Hey Randy, so today I had a teamwork day. I got up, got ready, had breakfast, picked up our CS manager from the station and then drove to a really cool paddleboarding place just outside Bath. You know, Lily, um, as much as I love to hear about your day, where are you going with this? I'm just telling you the story of my day. You know, I've actually always been pretty bad at telling stories. (laughs) But one type of storytelling that I love, probably because it doesn't require much charisma to do it, is user story mapping. Oh, yeah. You have a charisma problem. You're the one of us everybody likes. (laughs) But yeah, today we're talking to the godfather of user story mapping and possibly one of the nicest people in product. Although, you know, there are quite a few. We're talking to the legendary Jeff Patton. Legendary indeed, and also quite a spring chicken, I reckon. (laughs) Though Jeff literally (laughs) wrote the book on user story mapping. And if you don't currently use this technique in your own product development process, I can guarantee you're going to want to after this chat. The product experience is brought to you by Mind the Product. Every week, we talk to the best product people from around the globe about how we can improve our practice and build products that people love. Visit mindtheproduct.com to catch up on past episodes and to discover an extensive library of great content and videos. Browse for free or become a Mind the Product member to unlock premium articles, unseen videos, AMAs, roundtables, discounts to our conferences around the world, training opportunities, and more. Mind the Product also offers free Product Tank meetups in more than 200 cities, and there's probably one near you. Jeff, thank you so much for joining us tonight on the podcast. It's wonderful to have you here. I am super happy to be here. So for the three people listening who don't already know your name, can you just give us a quick introduction? How did you get into product? What are you up to these days? Uh, I'm sure there's more than three. It could be, well, yeah. Uh, uh, All right. How did I get into product? Uh, I'm old. I've been in software development a long time. I think I started, I didn't start till in my late twenties. There wasn't even a the, the concept of a product manager back then. And I don't, I think the very first time I was actually called product manager was in 2000. And part of the reason I'm here is because I started a startup in 2000 that was using this new process called extreme programming that became an agile process. And uh, in extreme programming, I was in the customer role or what in Scrum is called the product owner role, but my business card said product manager. So that makes me a very, early product manager in this agile space. So in the intersection of agile and product management, that's where I've been playing for a long time. But um, so, I mean, uh, I've always led teams in product companies that were building products that we built and sold. So not a lot of traditional IT, not until I got out and got into consulting in the mid 2000s. And is that what you're doing now? Uh, what do I do now? Uh, the, you know, what is the Peter principle that you rise to your level of incompetence? Um <laughs> No, yeah, because I've uh, written a book, written, written a book, and I've, I look. I worked for a consultancy called ThoughtWorks for a very long time. Really fabulous people. Uh, uh, I started focusing more on the product stuff, and I've been an independent consultant for the last ten years, which means I don't really have a job. Or uh, the, I do a, an awful lot of teaching, uh, both 
publicly and inside companies and then some coaching and consulting inside of companies. But you know, most of my focus these days is on helping organizations move into become more product centric or use more product thinking in their process. So, Jeff, one of the reasons we asked you to, to join us tonight is there's a technique or a, a tool that you're really well known for called user story mapping. And we wanted to get into that, but it's incredibly useful. But before we really jump into it, can you just give us some background? What is a user story map and where did the approach come from? Uh, like all good things, it was stolen. Um <laughs> <laughs> Anybody who is a user experience person would have heard of something like a journey map where you're mapping customers' journeys. Uh, if you're in uh, CX design or customer experience design, sometimes they'll refer to this as service blueprint. And the idea of doing a left-to-right flow that tells a story of what your customers or users are doing with your product isn't a super new idea. But I came from working in an agile space and uh, agile people have to build backlogs full of, full of stuff that they should build. Well, it turns out the easiest way to figure out what you should build is to map your customer's journey and then sort of decompose that into stuff to build. I came up or I used came up again, borrow that technique of mapping experience and used it as a foundation to, to build product backlogs and support planning. And it, it gives us more of an outside in customer user in perspective uh, uh, thinking about instead of just thinking of features that we intend to build uh yeah, that's that's what a story map is left to right tells a story top to bottom breaks it down into parts and pieces and the way that you think about it today has it changed much from the original concept that you came up with um or, or that you borrowed a long time ago yeah uh the original originally i was very it was it was really a utility. It, you know, it, it actually was adapted from, gosh, years ago. I had learned some task analysis skills, and it was borrowed from some task analysis uh, things where I would start to do task analysis, and it turned out that those tasks could break down. Uh, you know, you, if, if a task is a short verb phrase, it's easy to drop that into that silly user story format as a user. I want to short verb phrase so that I can uh, complete something. So it was an easy way to build up backlogs. So yeah, back in the old days, I was squarely fixated on using the, the technique to think through products that we were designing and testing and building. But more and more lately, in the, in the context of teaching, I'm dropping back to what a journey map would be. If, if I start working with a, a product person or a, a product company, the first thing I want them to do is tell me about the users you have today and map the experience you have today. That's, uh, that's, that's not a map about the future. It's not a map about a feature I want to build or a new product. It's a map about, well, it, it shows what you understand about the product today and, uh, or, and often what you don't understand about your users and your product today. So before we jump into some of the specifics about it, one of the things I was curious about is you mentioned that it, you use it in conjunction with backlogs and backlogs are often very flat things. Well, how does this enhance uh, working with a backlog or visualizing it? Um, I hate the backlog concept. Um, <laughs> there's, there's, for me, there's a couple kinds of backlogs. And yeah, if you're in the Agile community, it's a popular idea to say that there's one backlog and it's always prioritized. Uh, however, uh, we build backlogs filled with 
opportunities. And this is what my friend Marty Kagan refers to as an opportunity backlog. And uh, it's partly because we've worked together in the past, but we've got features, we've got ideas, we've got capabilities. Sometimes we've got problems to solve. Those are big, big rocks, big chunks. And we have, we use our, we use strategy to, to prioritize those. We use target outcomes or something wrapped into an OKR to prioritize those things, but those things are big. I can't throw those things into the next sprint to build. Uh, so I might prioritize those things based upon strategy, but then when I pull one of those things out because it's strategically important for me to focus on it, that's when I start discovery work. I can build a map of how people do things today. I can build a map of the solution. I can use the solution map to break it down into lots of different options. I can slice out what I want to release. And it's lots of little parts. And those little parts that I uh, decide these are the things I'm going to actually release. That's what I shovel into this more tactical day-to-day backlog. Uh, now those things, yeah, they flatten back out because what they turn into at that point is a plan. What I'm going to build first, what I'm going to build next and what I'm going to build next. Yes. At some point in time, uh, you know, out at the outside edge, it was what's strategically important next. And at the inside edge, it's what I want to build next. And the map ends up being a bridging thing uh, to help you move from one to the next. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah, it sounds a lot like you're describing, you know, like a roadmap style document would show you what opportunities you have and where they might sit. And then your backlog is just like your very kind of tactical. Um, this is what we've decided to work on. And, and these are the tasks that we need to get done and probably like some sort of semblance of order in which they need to be done. Yes. But where does the where would a user story map sit with those other mm. artifacts right in between there okay <laughs> so, so first, let's say you've got a roadmap and it is a big capability uh, uh that's it's a feature it's it's uh, it, it, the feature might be used by a couple different types of users and it's going to take weeks to build maybe mm. a month or more to build but if you're using scrum or some agile process we want it broken down into things that take a couple days to build so how do you take something that is going to take weeks or months to build and break it down into something that takes days to build? Many things that takes days to build, sometimes hundreds of things that take days to build. And how do you do that with uh, while keeping the user in mind? The way I unpack one of those things is say, okay, we've got a feature. Tell me a story about the feature. Who's the person that's going to use the feature? And now let's tell a story. If you give me a beginning and an end and tell the story end to end. Okay, now I've got a narrative. And then let's say every step, let's break it down into parts, the things that we might build. All those parts, those become the pieces that go into that more tactical backlog. Uh, that's again, that's where it fits. Yeah. You got a roadmap of big chunks, those strategically important things. That's why they're in the roadmap to begin with. And we have this need to have the, these little parts that we build. Uh, the story map is, is the bridging is the glue between that. So with that process, do you build a story map specifically to analyze and design and break down a large opportunity and then once you've delivered it, do you throw the story map away or yeah. does it yep. change? Yeah, you just it's, throw it away. Yeah, it's combustible. <laughs> it just burns <laughs> up in the process. Um, it's, it's how you make sense of your, your thinking about that product. Right. Uh, now, 
you know, let's, uh, a lot of times people will start with a big capability and they will map it out and it ends up being a pretty big map and then they'll decompose it into parts. And then we take that decomposition and say, okay, maybe we can't release all this capability at once. Maybe we need a first release or a second release and a third release. Or sometimes we do good, better, best slicing. Let's get the good enough one out there in a first release. Uh, let's make it better in a second lease release. Let's take a second release and move it out to a larger market. And the story map helps you think of the whole thing holistically. So yeah, in that situation, you might keep the story map around. And so a lot of people will use a, a story map and connect it using tools like Miro or Mural or some plugins for Jira. You can connect it to tickets in Jira, let's say. And as people start building tickets in Jira, you can see the map change colors or light up. You can see what's been built. And you, that's, it starts to expose your development strategy. Some people build uh, left to right or this step, then this, everything for this step, then everything for this step and everything for this step. You know, what I'll advocate is building in thin slices. Let's build a super thin end to end slice, get it working, see it work, and then build it up from there. You can, you know, in a flat backlog, you can't see that kind of strategy play out, but in a story map, you can. You know, I'm waving my arms wildly, and I realize we're on a podcast, <laughs> and you guys can see me, but uh, the people listening can't. I can um, hear you waving your arms. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, but it, again, the, the the map exposes. So yeah, some people keep them around because they want to see how, as I proceed through development, how am I working? Am I working in thin slices? Am I working? top to bottom in big chunks uh what am i missing uh where what parts of this feature capability this big capability have i worked on what parts have an idea touched uh, again if we're talking about something big and then if i've sliced it into multiple releases uh i don't know i've got enough for the first release and what if i push down into second and third releases or you usually find parts that you push down into probably never uh, uh, those kinds of things yeah does all that make sense a little bit mm. Yeah, yeah but let's dig into what a step is in yeah. in the map. What's a, what's what distinguishes one step from another? Is it purely from the user's perspective, or are we also looking at the back end actors? Are we looking at an entire system perspective? So, how mm -hmm. do we get started? You know, what is a step in a story map? Um. Perfect question. Uh, <laughs> now, if we're building stuff that's user facing, yeah, I want to start with uh, user steps. Uh, there's a concept that's discussed in the uh, story mapping book, uh, and you know that I borrowed from a guy named Alistair Coburn, who wrote a book on use cases. And when we talk about steps or actions that people take, he'll, he'll divide steps into into well, some basic levels. Or using an altitude level metaphor, in the middle is sea level or functional level. A functional level step is something you would do with the intention of completing it before moving on to do something else. Uh, I will do an exercise to teach people story mapping where I'll ask them to tell me the story of getting ready this morning. It starts when you woke up and it ends when you arrived here. And in that story will usually be a step called take shower. Take shower is functional level because you don't get halfway through it and say, yeah, this shower is dragging on. I think I'm going to grab a cup of coffee and finish my shower up later. <laughs> uh, it's a functional level step, but it must break down into smaller steps or sub-functional level steps. 
Now, it, the, so when you say step, well, it depends on, like if I'm just adding one small feature, sometimes the feature sort of feels like one functional level thing and I will break it down into sub-functional things. That makes up the back, the left to right flow or the top of the map is the backbone. Uh, I'll see a map as like if you rip the vertebrae out of an animal and threw it onto the ground, you'd see, uh, you'd, you'd, you'd see the backbone and you'd see ribs hanging down. And the, that's the, that's the decomposition of that there. Um, so, uh, sometimes it's the altitude level or goal level of that backbone might be functional level where each step is a distinct, uh, users do this and then they do this and they, and then it breaks down into sub-functional things below, or sometimes we're just mapping one small feature where, uh, you know, the, the whole thing is one step and we decompose that left to right. And so the goal level varies, you know, map is a good metaphor, uh, a globe is a way to see where countries are. Uh, an atlas might, uh, well, a, a map of a country might let me see where states are and where big major highways are in the states. And a city map will let me uh, see how to you know, get from one place in a city to another. And a map of the building will let me find your office relative to somebody else's. You don't use the same altitude level of map for the same mm-hmm. thing. And, yeah. Do you add things to each step then, like uh, happy or sad face or duration of how long a step takes or things like that? Or is it purely functional and descriptive? So the beginning of my book and almost the beginning of every freaking talk I give, uh, I draw this <laughs> super simple model that I've been calling the now and later model for a long time. Or analysts might call it an as is and to be. Uh, and, and I, in early, you know, earlier in our conversation, I talked about making a journey map of the way it works, uh, the way it works today. So yeah, I can map somebody's experience in my product today and I can say how long a step takes today. And I can say if they're happy or sad today, but at some point in time, I need to build this work of fiction, this map of what I imagine users will do in the future. Now I could label that with where I think they will be happy in the future, or I think they'll be sad in the future. I hope they're not going to be sad in the future in my future <laughs> world. And I can label it with how long I believe each step should take, but the future is a fiction. There's no evidence there of anything until we release it. Uh, and that's the cool thing about the future is it doesn't take very long before it becomes the present. And then we can actually measure that stuff. It rolls that way. So yes, when I'm building a journey map to really understand or un- unpack the way people work things today, the stuff you just mentioned, super important. Uh, I'll look uh, on steps. I'll look for frequency and duration. How long, how many times, how often do people do these? How long does it take? And then look for pain and rewards. If there's something that's done at a high frequency or takes a long time and has pain associated with it, that's a problem you need to fix. That's, that's what makes this, that kind of map super valuable, but it is not the map you use to build a backlog. It's the map you use to expose problems in your product so that you can figure out problems you should fix and you build a backlog out of those things you should fix. UserLeap makes it easy to build and embed microsurveys into your product to learn about your customers in real time. Product teams at companies such as Square, Adobe, and Dropbox use UserLeap to gather qualitative insights as easily as they get quantitative ones and automatically analyze the results so teams can take quick action. If you're part of an agile product team that believes in building better products, and I sure hope you are, 
by obtaining insights from users, then give UserLeap a try for free by visiting userleap.com. That is userleap.com. Where do you, I'm trying to imagine how you would add all of that additional contextual information onto the map without it becoming quite overwhelming. Is there um, is there a specific format that you advocate or is it very much a whatever works? <laughs> it's very much a whatever works. Now that said, there are people and companies that uh, try and come up with formatting and I'll, uh, uh, do things. I uh, uh, habitually, I've color coded a bit, uh, meaning if I'm trying to put a pane on there, I'm going to use, I'll, I won't put a frowny face on one sticky. I'll add a different color. I'll add a, add a red sticky for a pain and a green sticky for a, a joy or reward. And then uh, the different color stickies for different things. Uh, mm. And then uh, oh, there's another trick that if you're working with sticky notes that you may not know, but every, every pack of sticky notes comes with two shapes. Uh, it comes with a square and a diamond for free. So if you twist it 45 degrees, now you got a whole other set of sticky notes and sometimes <laughs> use diamonds for other kinds of things. So I'll use different colors for different channels. So yeah, it, it, it can become a chaotic mess. Uh, that's why, again, used to use sticky notes. Now we'll use tools like Mural or Miro. And, and I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised at how you can do a, almost all the same things we used to do on walls. And, the, the cool thing about mural and mural is the, the wall is uh, the sticky notes never fall off of mural. Uh, uh, and uh, the wall is larger than any wall on the planet. So <laughs> it can get really big, but yeah, you got to watch out for map shock if the maps get too big or too bloated. And it usually you're taking on too big of a problem. I am really curious about that because, you know, one of the great benefits is walking into a team space and seeing that laid out and that ambient awareness that other people get. Whereas whether it's Miro or Mural, it's, you have to be intentional to go there. You don't get it by accident. And there is a fatigue around, uh, around being on video for too long. I'm just curious, over the last year and a half or so, how have you adapted to that? Have you seen teams adapt to it? Do they use it as well, is it as effective as a bunch of people being in a room with sickies? No, they asked the same question you just did. <laughs> no, again, all the uh, working strictly remotely, uh, that's a new thing and people are just uh, adapting to it. And I've been asked the question, how do we, how do we get that same ambient or, you know, what the people in the agile community, community refer to this as an information radiator, uh, something that's on the wall and like a radiator on the wall, it radiates information and not just heat and not heat. Uh, you walk by it, you see it, you, uh, you can just like a, uh, you know, you're in London, correct? Uh, you, you, I, if I'm down in the tube, I can walk up to the map and say, I'm here and we're trying to get there. And uh, uh, this is the train I need to grab. And which track is it? And uh, The map is there. It's there to help guide me. You see that in teams or the, those team spaces. I will ask people to build, a, you know, a big map that shows the shape of their product as it is. So when we're picking up something to work on it, uh, one of these small tactical stories that's in the backlog, we can walk up to the big map and see, okay, it's about here. What I've asked people to do is build a big map. And if you're using mural boards to have discussions, put it on every board. <laughs> just, it's, again, just like you, uh, like the, the same map is at every tube stop uh, so that anybody at any time can look at it. Take the big map and that big map of the way your product is today, 
doesn't doesn't change. It doesn't evolve. It's a it's a snapshot of mm-hmm. where it is. So it's a, it's an orienting map. So that uh, that and that's uh, Randy. What you were describing that's the that's the big map you kind of like to see on the wall to talk about. So who would you have in the team working on the map? Um, if uh, gosh, there's a as I teach the as I teach product management, one of the things I want product people to recognize is you better not be doing this alone. Uh, otherwise the job isn't product manager. It's bottleneck. Uh, you need to surround yourself with other people that help you out. Uh, so a product manager should work closely with somebody who is a strong technical person. And if you're building something user facing, something that is a user, someone who's a user experience person, uh, Guys like Kagan would call that a core product team. Some sometimes goes by the jargon of the triad. Uh, and so those are the people that I like to orchestrate a lot of discovery work and a lot of this mapping stuff. But who's best to have a map is the people that want to be there. Uh, it's, it's common when you're trying to map the world as it is. It's common to have subject matter experts there or uh, user experience people will do research and pour a lot of data they found into a journey map, all those pains that they've observed and other things like that. So I'll usually look for kind of a, a balanced team of somebody who understands technical stuff and business stuff and user experience stuff. Uh, I kind of want to have those ideas represented and then people that know stuff. And then it's always nice to have people that are observers that are there to learn stuff. They're not building the map. They're there to see the map built and observe and ask questions and say, why is this this way? And did you, what about this? And Hmm. sometimes they think of other things, but as a rule, you cannot build a map from scratch with a crowd. It usually goes best with a small group, but once it's on the wall, a big group can, talk about it, ask questions, make changes, make improvements, but building a map from scratch with a big group does not work. Uh, so I'll look for a small balance team, a small cross-functional team to build it. What are the mistakes you see people commonly making? Uh, well, the single biggest mistake is one I've already hinted at. I've had people that want me to come in and help them uh learn how to build a story map uh, and I'll say, okay, first tell me who your users are and they scratch their heads and they can tell me a little bit about that. And then I'll say, tell me a story about how they would use the product. And then they scratch their heads a lot. Uh, and I'll say, okay, well, let's, let's get, let me give you a starting point. Uh, you know, uh, they log in and then, uh, and, and then lots more uh, head scratching. And if you cannot tell me a story about how people use your product or how you think they will use the feature you're about to build, you cannot build a story map and you bloody well better not be building a feature at all. Again, if you can't tell me a story about the way someone would use something you're building, it's a real risk to build it at all. So yeah, the, the biggest mistake is people trying to build a map or build a backlog and not really understanding the, their product or the people who will use it. Uh, the other one is the one we talked about uh, too many people in the room and not the, the right people in the room to start with. Uh, people struggle with this altitude level thing a lot. Sometimes they try and boil the ocean and map everything. Look, Mm -hmm. they're just building one feature, uh, but they will say, okay, we need to build this one feature. So let's start the story when they log in uh, and uh, continue the the story until they're done using the product. And somewhere in the story, we'll get to this little feature. Now just start the story in the middle. Start with using the feature. You, know, you don't need, you know, like any action movie starts in the middle these days anyway. Um, you, you don't uh, start it at the beginning of that. So I see people trying to boil the ocean or map way too much. What else do I see? Um, 
uh, people suffer from this if they're trying to build a solution map or a map of something that will turn into a backlog of things that get built. They get worried that everything they write down has become in scope or uh, is a decision to make to build something. And they say, I don't want to write that down because then we're going to be committed to building it. No, I, right. I fill maps up with tons of options. I want it when I start to carve out things so I can figure out what I'm going to release, I want to carve out two thirds. So I'm super happy to pour all kinds of crap into it that we do not intend to build uh, with every part of the map i'll always play i think i said this early in the conversation the good better best game what's a good enough way to do this what's a better way to do this what's the best way to do this and then we'll make late decisions on which is which to go with uh, mm. so yeah some people make the mistake of being really anxious about what they write down or what they put down and is there a time when a user story map isn't appropriate when you're soft, I know, I, you know what? I can't think. When is a user story map not appropriate? Now, first, I'm not religious about how they need to be built or how they look. Uh, you know, I, now, and, and it may, and it certainly isn't the only map or the only model, but if something has steps, if you can tell a story about how the product is used, a map is just a way to communicate that story. If it's something you could write a use case for, you can map it. If it's something you can build a workflow model for, you can map it. Any model that has boxes and arrows is just a, is just a map. Yeah. Uh, now, uh, and again, I'm not religious about the way that they're structured or organized. Uh, uh, Randy, you asked earlier in this, uh, are they always just functional or do they go from the user's perspective? And I didn't all, didn't all the way answer that question. Um, uh, if we are building something that is a backend service, I will uh, ask people to anthropomorphize the service and tell me a story about what the service does. Uh, the service gets uh, called, I you know, work with companies building stock trading applications. The, the, the trader submits uh, a, a, a trade and then the, the, the engine gets to work and runs different strategies on that to do, uh, to, to buy things. At first, the engine does this, then this, then this, then this. And I can tell a step-by-step story, story where the short verb phrases aren't what people did, they're what that, they're what that service does, what that trading yeah. does. And yeah, that's a map too. I've had people say, oh, I can't map it because it's a backend service. No, if you can write a use case, uh, if you can do something as a sequence, you, you can map it. And, and if it, it helps, don't call it a story map. <laughs> just, just things <laughs> on the wall in the order that, uh, and tell me a story about how someone would use it, and go with whatever flow that works best for you. That's actually one of my favorite things to teach people: is it doesn't matter what we call it. We don't have to call it agile. We don't have to call it anything. We just have to convince other people to act in that way. Yeah, yeah. The really the names <laughs> don't don't matter. Uh, <laughs> the, you know, the the foundational concept. I try and help people understand is people get hung up on the, the concept of stories and how they write good stories and how to write good acceptance criteria and all those mechanical things. I'll remind people that the concept of stories is about, they're called stories because of the, of telling stories of collaborating of, and I'll use this uh, phrase. We're, we're striving for shared understanding. Mm. Uh, the most retweeted phrase from the story mapping book is that shared documents aren't shared understanding and previously, everybody has worked really hard to figure out some perfect communication mechanism, some some way to model, some way to explain or document something so that people will understand perfectly. And going with a story-driven approach is an acknowledgement that you ain't going to get there. 
that we mm-hmm. focus on collaboration and the best way to build one of the best ways to build shared understanding is with this shared visualization, something that we can see and point to. And I don't care if it's uh, something you hand drew on a whiteboard. Uh, uh, I don't care if it's uh, sticky notes. It's just a lot easier to move sticky notes around than it is to erase things and redraw them on a whiteboard. That's, that's mm-hmm. all. Uh, but some visualization, something you can point and gesture and, uh, help people organize their thoughts in a shared visual space versus everybody organizing separately in their head. Uh, that's the, that's the big point. That's why we do the mapping is to build the shared understanding. Jeff, you must've worked on a gazillion maps in your time. Have you mm-hmm. got a, like a favorite story yourself of a, a mapping exercise that really kind of, transformed the way that everyone was thinking about the product or uncovered something new and insightful? Oh, boy. I'm trying to think of a favorite uh, thing. Yeah, you, you, one of the most unusual things I've had to map is working with a company that builds... We were mapping the behavior of a, of a chip inside of a thing on a cell tower where packets of information came in and prioritized packets came out. It was the only job this chip had was to prioritize packets of cellular data. And I said, well, it's, 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 it can't be mapped. And I said, well, okay, well, tell me how it works. Well, packets of information come in and then we do this and we do this. And as that person is telling me the story, I'm putting sticky notes down. And by the end of the, the, by the end of him, telling the story, there was a map on the wall. Mm. That's how you map it. <laughs> how did you do that? <laughs> I just wrote down what you said. You told the story. I can map the story that you tell me. Uh, that, 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 those are the times when it's most revealing to people. It's when people say, you can't map this. And mm. I will ask them, how does it work? And they will tell me how it works. And I will write down what they said uh, on sticky notes. And uh, and then I will walk them back through it and ask them more questions. And the light, uh, that's when the lights go off. I say, oh, my gosh, it is a map. Or it is. Uh, all you did was tell this, visually represent the story. Mm. Um, I'm trying to think of specific things. But it always happens that when we start mapping the whole story, suddenly people realize these big gaping holes, things they hadn't forgot about or that they had forgotten about how uh, it's not really clear how people uh, get from this point to this point. And uh, always, always, oh gosh, I've had people tell me that I really hate story mapping. Every time we do it, we find all this crap that we didn't know. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And that happens all the time. Um, no favorite anecdote about that, but <laughs> <laughs> that's all right, Jeff. We could go on with you about this all night, and it's been really fantastic. Uh, but we're running out of time, so I'm going to ask one more totally practical question. Uh, you talked earlier about uh, mapping it all out and then going from beginning to end in good, better, best slices, and and dealing with it. How do you? What's the practical thing that we need to know about moving, taking that everything up on the wall? and making it into releasable chunks? Um, first, uh, this is why, the, this is the superpower of maps for me. I get really ticked off when people talk about prioritizing backlogs and the backlogs are filled with little things. I need to think of a holistic release of things. Now, uh, the trick for prioritization is to stop prioritizing things. Uh now, I, I give people uh, an exercise to learn how to map. I'll tell them to map what they did in the morning, this morning. Uh, 
And then I will, uh, I will tell them, okay, pretend you woke up late and uh, you woke up uh, at 8.42 and you have to be at a meeting at 9 o'clock. You have to be sitting down in front of Zoom at 9 o'clock. Uh, now, rearrange your morning so that you and people like you and your group can get ready in about, you know, less than 10 minutes or so. Now, what that is, is a target audience and target outcome. The target audience is the people in your group. The target outcome is getting ready uh, in, you know, 10 minutes or less. Now, if we can agree on target outcomes or what the general benefits, we would, the, the things we'd expect to observe at the end of the release and who that release is for, now we can make prioritizations decisions. Now we know what's good enough. Uh, it's not a subjective decision about what I think is best. It's, it's what, what do we need to do to get that outcome? It, it, what's interesting is the, um, look, uh, yeah, that's what I'll focus people on. I don't know if that's uh, crystal clear from here, but it's, if, if you know who the release is for and what outcomes you're striving for, you can prioritize. You know, And back to that silly example, uh, when I have people do this in a class, they will carve out a getting ready fast routine. And, uh, and I'll say it's got to satisfy everybody in the group. There's invariably people in the group that have kids or pets. And so they have to leave steps in there to take care of their kids or take care of their pets. And then I tell them, look, you can make this release smaller by kicking those people out of your group. You, uh, now this is the way prioritization works. You don't pull features out of your product. You pull featured people out of your target market. This mm. is the evil part about product management. The hardest decisions you will make are not what features go into your product. It's what people you're going to help and what people you're not going to help. And uh, That's the, the wedge that makes prioritization work. Jeff, it's been so interesting talking to you this evening about user story mapping. Thank you so much for joining us and for sharing your wisdom. I love user story mapping um, and you've just reminded me how much I love it. So I'm going to get back on it because I haven't done one for a while. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, it's been really fantastic. Thank you. Uh, real pleasure to talk about. Thank you very much for having me here. You know, I've seen Jeff talk about how to do all this stuff before. I've done this stuff plenty of times, but hearing him talk about it, it's that that reminds me just how powerful that story mapping can actually be. I know. And it's refreshing to talk to someone who has such a great perspective on what the real value of the technique is, the shared context and understanding and knowing what to do next. Ah, yes. The power of chat. And if you're still listening, you know what to do next. Tweet about this episode or tag us on LinkedIn. Tell us what you've learned from creating a story map. We'd love to hear about it. Our hosts are me, Lily Smith, and... Me, Randy Silver. Emily Tate is our producer, and Luke Smith is our editor. Our theme music is from Hamburg-based band POW, that's P-A-U. Thanks to Arna Kittler, who runs Product Tank and MTP Engage in Hamburg, and plays bass in the band for letting us use their music. Connect with your local product community via Product Tank, our regular free meetups in over 200 cities worldwide. If there's not one near you, you can consider starting one yourself. To find out more, go to mindtheproduct.com forward slash product tank. Product Tank is a global community of meetups, 
Driven by and for product people, we offer expert talks, group discussion, and a safe environment for product people to come together and share learnings and tips.